Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Dynasty Zoltan podcast. Your host, Mike Garai, here, as always, and I am pumped that football is back. Listen, I love the offseason as much as everyone else does, especially the draft season, but the summer is a slog, and I am just excited to have football back, even if the quality of football was not the highest in week one. Lots of these guys aren't playing in the preseason. There's a lot of scouting going on that usually isn't when you only have a week. So week one's always a little bit weird, but that doesn't mean that there aren't actionable takeaways. And sometimes week one is the best time to make trades in the dynasty arena because you have people overreacting to week one. Maybe a contender loses week one. They had J.K. Dobbins who gets injured. They're looking to rebuild. Or you have it going the other way around. Someone has a random breakout performance from Puka Nakua. They think they can compete now. They're looking to buy some vets. So week one is a great time to make some big trades. It's also when you need to make trades if you are a rebuilding team, trying to shed points, trying to get Caleb Williams. You have to make trades immediately because every point matters. I saw some absolutely ridiculous things going down in my leagues uh one of my leagues yesterday we had over 30 trades because there was a race to the bottom where three teams were trying to compete for Caleb Williams they were moving Daniel Jones for a second round pick they were moving Joe Burrow for three firsts just because they need to get rid of the points it was a ridiculous day to be honest uh I was initially trying to tank in that league and decided to go all in because uh, I wanted to take advantage of people selling off. So there's a lot of ways that you can benefit from the early season. And it becomes all the more important to figure out what's real, what's not, what can you take advantage of in terms of the hype following post week one, because there is only one week of sample here. And it's not that the one week isn't important, but you have to remember it's just one. So just a reminder, last season, week one, Devontae Smith, CeeDee Lamb, Tony Pollard, Austin Eckler, T. Higgins combined for 23 fantasy points. They averaged over 85 points between those five guys the rest of the season. So this year, Mac Jones, QB2. We got Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, and Dak Prescott, and Joe Burrow all finishing outside the top 15. Tyler Algier, Roshan Johnson, Joshua Kelly, Kyron Williams, all finishing top 12. Hayden Hurst and Hunter Henry, the top two tight ends. These things just happen. And if this was week seven and all those things happened, no one would blink twice. But because it's week one, everyone's got to react. And not reacting is a mistake too, but overreacting is of course a mistake. So without further ado, I'm going to walk you through team by team my buys and sells what you should be reacting to. I have a list of about, you know, 120 buys and sells. I wrote about all of them for my Patreon uh, in my week one dynasty buys and sells uh, about, you know, three to four, two to four players for each team. For this podcast, I'm going to talk about one player for each team. I'm going to highlight a statistic that I think is crucial in terms of why you should buy or sell a certain player, and then we'll move on. But of course, If you want access to all of my buys and sells, check out my Patreon. I'm also going to be doing uh, a Patreon Q&A. So those questions are going to be incorporated within this podcast for each team that those questions refer to. 
If you want to advance to a specific division, I'm going to be covering AFC East, then North, then West and South, and then the NFC East, then North, then West and South. Before we get into going team by team, just going to give a quick preview with some of my favorite buys and sells of the week. To start off, my favorite buys of the week, Drake London, classic buy, low opportunity, definitely have to put in some offers for him. Jameer Gibbs is a buy, low opportunity as well, one of my favorites that I'm looking at. A few buy high opportunities, Brock Purdy, I just think he's legit now. Demario Douglas, he's a guy I'll talk about when we talk about New England very briefly. And then some sells. I'm selling the whole Pittsburgh Steelers offense. I'll get into more detail once we get to the AFC North. I am selling Alexander Madison after this two-touchdown week. I just don't think he's a good player. We'll get there as well. And Derrick Henry, if you haven't sold him yet, it is time, finally. But without further ado, let's get into the team-by-team breakdown. We'll start off with the AFC East and the New England Patriots. And I'm going to be talking about Demario Douglas. If you've been listening to my podcast before, you know how high I am on Demario Douglas. I've said I think he is a potentially 80-catch player for the Patriots as soon as maybe this year, probably next year. But he's already on pace for 70 or so catches uh, in his opening game. He had a 27% target uh, target share, uh, had uh, only played half the snaps, basically split snaps with Juju Smith-Schuster down the middle. They each earned seven targets. The difference between their targets was that Demario Douglas was targeted farther down the field, had 83 air yards to Juju's only 29 air yards. That's over 10 yards of average depth of target for Douglas. Very good for a slot option. He got targeted once on a deep corner route. Uh, and once on more of a seam route. He also has the ability to be used more in the short passing game with some manufactured touches. Juju Smith-Schuster has run into some issues with the coaching staff. He has a knee that is about to explode. I think Demario Douglas will be the full-time slot for the New England Patriots sooner rather than later. It's it's past time that you can get him for a random third-round pick. It, it sucks, but you just can't do that anymore. Instead, offer a third and a fourth, offer a third plus a player like Tyquan Thornton who doesn't matter. Um, I recently acquired him. I gave up Rashid Shahid uh, and and I received Douglas and an early third round pick. He's a guy that I already have about 60% ownership of and I am trying to step that up. Let's move on to the Miami Dolphins who played a hell of a game and of course we got to talk about Tua Tagovailoa. 466 yards passing, just an absolutely insane game for Tua. And there was a lot of what we saw last year, right? He was a very efficient and effective player. I projected Tua for 5,000 yards and 30 touchdowns coming into this season. And I have a podcast. You can go back and listen to my preview where I talked to Dynasty X Factor, Tua's biggest fan. I was actually texting X Factor today, and uh, he said that Tua is in the top tier of quarterbacks with Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow and Josh Allen. So that was interesting to hear. I, I, I wouldn't go that far, and I'm actually labeling Tua as a sell high because even with my projections of 5,000 plus 30 touchdowns, he had under 20 points a game. And the issue with a guy like Tua is you can't project him for more than, you know, 10 rushing yards a game, and maybe he gets a few touchdowns over the course of the year. I posted a poll on Twitter yesterday, Tua Tagovailoa or Justin Fields, and Tua received 62% of the vote. 
Listen, I think two is a much better quarterback than Justin Fields. His floor is much higher. Let's ignore the injury for a second because we know he's going to be a starter in the NFL. And for the time being, he's with Jalen Waddell and Tyree Kill, which is obviously excellent. The issue is that he just doesn't have the upside of a guy like Justin Fields or a guy like Anthony Richardson, who you can also probably try to get for a guy like Tua. So I'm all in on Tua outside of the top you know, 11 QBs. Uh, so we're talking the, the the top three. We got uh, Mahomes, Allen, Hertz. We got Burrow. We got Herbert. We got Lamar. That's six. Lawrence and Fields is eight. Kyler and Watson makes 10. Richardson's 11. Tua should be in the top 12. I think at number 12, I could see an argument for him versus Deshaun Watson, but I, I'm not making that step yet. So two at 12 is fine, but if you can get at one of the QBs with higher upside like Lamar, Richardson, or Justin Fields, I think the time to move him is now, especially with the whole concussion issue potentially hanging over his head. For the Bills, let's talk about James Cook. James Cook did not have a great game with only 63 total yards, but he looked pretty good. He had 43 yards after contact on those 12 rushes. He had his explosiveness from last season, and his utilization was excellent. 61% snap share, 15% target share. Those are numbers that can get you to high-end RB2 output if you are adding receptions there especially, and we know Cook has the ability to be explosive. There are still some questions for him because he was taken out in the two-minute drill in favor of Latavius Murray, but and we didn't see any rushes inside the 10-yard line, so we didn't see whether he'd be taken off the field for Murray or Damian Harris on those goal-to-go opportunities. My guess is he would. So I don't see RB1 upside, but in Dynasty, James Cook is still pretty, pretty cheap. If you look at his ADP, James Cook was being drafted around the 8th round, around RB24. Again, I have him possibly finishing as higher than that this season, and this is a young running back. He does possess some more upside with that. He was going, again, during drafts behind Cam Akers, behind Miles Swift, behind Rashad White. Obviously, you're taking him over those players at this point. Um, and uh, I would agree, DeAndre Swift as well. So I'm, I'm moving James Cook up a little bit in my dynasty rankings. I think that he is a solid buy low because the underlying statistics were better than the frontline numbers. For the last team in the AFC East, let's talk about the New York Jets. Obviously, a lot changed for New York. One thing that didn't change is that Brees Hall is an absolute stud. On his first three touches of the game after coming back from that knee injury ACL tear, Brees Hall ripped off a 26-yard run, ripped off an 83-yard run, and then ripped off uh, another 20-yard gain. Uh, sorry, there was actually one one run for no gain uh, in between that. So, you know, Brees Hall's awful. But... Basically, we saw all we needed to see about Brees Hall. He is the RB2. I think he is closer to Bijan Robinson than a lot of people do. He might just be the best running back in the NFL right now. He came back with all the efficiency that you would ever want to see from him, forced five missed tackles on his 10 carries. He put up four yards per route run. He only ran five routes, and he had a 20-yard catch. Quite simply, Brees Hall looked like Brees Hall, and I know he didn't have the usage, but he still put up a ton of fantasy points just because he's that good. And the usage is going to come back because Dalvin Cook looked like Dalvin Cook did last season, 
and that is Dalvin Cooked. So buy Brees Hall. It's not buying low. Everyone knows he's great, but you can go ahead and buy high on him because he's worth it. The next team I want to discuss is the Cleveland Browns, and I want to talk about Deshaun Watson. Now, we all gave Deshaun Watson a bit of a break last season. He had to shake off some rust, even though we saw Calvin Ridley do what he did this week. It's different at the quarterback position. That's fine. But the more weeks that go by and the less Deshaun Watson looks like the old Deshaun Watson, the more concern you have to have over whether he can find it again. He averaged only 5.3 yards per attempt. He only had two rushing attempts, and I get it. This was a weird game against a division rival where they ended up blowing out the Bengals, which was surprising. But Deshaun Watson hasn't looked like himself in upwards of three years now. So we have to consider if he's ever going to be that guy again. On a rebuilder, if you can flip him for Kyler Murray Plus, if you can get... Even to attack of Iloa, I'd have him in the same tier now and might take Tua over him. And if you can pay especially less than a first to get someone in the Lawrence Lamar Jackson tier, maybe even a late first, I would consider making that move. Next, let's do a little bit of a quick one with the Cincinnati Bengals, the Cleveland Browns opponent from last weekend. T. Higgins had eight targets and 151 air yards. I don't care that he didn't catch any of them. Uh, do not move him at all. It would be ridiculous to do so. Buy low if you can. That's all I got to say about T. Higgins. And now we can talk about a team that I am worried about, and that is the Pittsburgh Steelers. Listen, guys, Kenny Pickett is just not good at this football thing. He had one of the worst seasons of all time last year with the second lowest touchdown rate in the last 25 years. He was fourth lowest last year in yards per attempt. He was under 20 rushing yards a game, and he was just as bad this week. I I know the Niners have a very good defense, but 232 yards on 52 dropbacks with zero big-time throws again on 46 attempts is just pathetic. He will not be a starter after this season. Get him off your roster as soon as possible, and the same goes for George Pickens. He's probably not on your roster if you've listened to me. He's been incredibly overrated for a long time. He has never shown the ability to earn targets at any level, and we just saw him play a whole half of football where Kenny Pickett was throwing the ball constantly, and he got out-targeted by Allen freaking Robinson, who is barely an NFL receiver at this point. So I'm not expecting anything from George Pickens this season. He had 12 expected fantasy points in a game that his team was losing by three touchdowns and Deontay Johnson missed half of. It's just never going to happen for George Pickens. For the Ravens, we got a few patron questions coming in. So first one's going to be from St. Goose, and it is what to do with J.K. Dobbins. All right. If you are in a shallow league with no IR spots, you can drop J.K. Dobbins. If you are in a deep league with IR spots, I'm okay with keeping or acquiring J.K. Dobbins for a very, very low price. I ran a poll over the weekend, uh, Kendrick Bourne or J.K. Dobbins. Kendrick Bourne won the poll. Something like that I'm fine with because I don't think J.K. Dobbins is going to get the bounce that he got and Javante Williams got and Cam Akers got when they came back from their inevitable injuries. But he will get some type of boost. He's not going to enter next year. He doesn't have a contract right now. He's not going to enter next year as the 1A in a committee 
probably not even the 1B, but he could be one of the priority backups. We look at how even a guy like Jalen Warren is valued right now, kind of as a late second round pick. Uh, you can get J.K. Dobbins for way less than that. You can get him for a pair of fourths for a late third round pick. I don't mind that as an investment, but overall, I wouldn't be paying any more than that. Next question comes to me from FF to Mad Dog, my good friend Dane Madoche. Check him out uh, on Twitter. That is his handle. He's asking me my thoughts on Zay Flowers. Has my overall outlook changed? And what happens when Mark Andrews came back, uh, comes back? I have been admittedly very low on Zay Flowers throughout the process. Uh, he was a fourth-year senior who didn't earn targets at Boston College, a place where he did not have a lot of target competition. And what he did this first week was impressive, right? I mean, nine catches, 78 yards on 10 targets. There's a lot of good to say in that. The issue with Zay Flowers, six of his 10 receptions were behind the line of scrimmage. Seven of the 10 receptions, he was the first read. It's it's just hard to imagine Zay Flowers earning a massive role in a more traditional wide receiver way. And offensive coordinators have gotten better. Uh, Todd Monken is very creative. So maybe he continues to get Zay Flowers the ball like Debo Samuel and, and or like Kadarius Tony, who I think is Zay Flowers. Like Zay Flowers is much better than Kadarius Tony. Don't get me wrong; he's got better hands, better route running, but they they have a similar skill set in some ways. Um, I think that there's ways that they'll continue to get him the ball. But when Mark Andrews is back, when Lamar Jackson is playing significantly better, this was a weird game against Houston. When Rashad Bateman is healthier. I just don't see Zay Flowers commanding a massive target share. And right now, you can flip him straight up for Drake London. You can get Quentin Johnson or Jordan Addison plus. You can use him to upgrade to a Chris Olave or a Garrett Wilson. Go throw in a late first and please get Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave for Zay Flowers or Amon Ross St. Brown or Jalen Waddell. So I don't hate the player. I hate the price. I would say that if I was, you know... I had him in about the eighth round, I think, of startups. Most people had him in the seventh. I'll probably move him up to the sixth. Most people will move him up to the fourth. So I would say I am farther apart now than I was before on Zay Flowers, but that's just because I I, I will underreact. Uh, call it call it a bias uh, either way, but I I just don't I don't see the alpha receiver that he's being valued at already. Next, I'll move to the AFC West. We'll talk about Kansas City first. Definitely listen to the podcast that I posted uh, last Friday if you want to hear more of my thoughts about Kansas City. But I got a question from a patron. Duke Derp asks me, are Tony or Sky Bilo candidates? Uh, the simple answer is probably not, but it's always worth a chance. So I sent a few offers for Sky Moore. Um, I got three shares of him for late third round picks. That's a deal I would definitely make. Um, Kadarius Tony, I'm less interested in. I'm not offering for. I don't know if he's going to be in the NFL next year. But then again, we know Kadarius Tony has a skill set. Sky Moore might not. So I, I wouldn't begrudge anyone for throwing a late third at Kadarius Tony either. But these aren't guys I'm prioritizing as bylaws who I who I'm confident in will accrue value, which is usually what I look for um, when I when I look at bylaws. Uh, but for instance, Sky Moore uh, over um, uh, J.K. Dobbins for sure. I have been sending out a few Sky Moore offers for Demario Douglas. I'm asking for a third round pick back. Um, typically, I'm getting denied, meaning every time I've been denied. Uh, but 
I think Sky and Demario Douglas are are not too far away, so that that might be another one to try out. Sticking in the AFC West, let's talk about the Chargers, who had one of the games of the year, honestly. I, I know it's week one, obviously a game of the year. I think it'll end the season as one of the games of the year. Uh, Tua was just incredible in that game. Anyways, we did not see a whole lot of Quentin Johnston from the Chargers, and that's that's kind of to be expected. What we did see was we saw Mike Williams get hurt already. We know that there are some concerns with that. We know Keenan Allen has had that issue. And we saw Josh Palmer be who Josh Palmer is, which is a, a bad receiver that can't earn targets. He ran 27 routes and got one target. That is a 4% target rate for Josh Palmer. Quentin Johnston had three times as many targets in exactly half the routes um, with for a 21% target rate for Quentin Johnston. He's a good buy low right now. As I said earlier, I would try to get him using Zay Flowers. You can probably get something on top. He is one of the ideal players to own for a rebuilding build, and people are just forgetting about him. So don't be one of those people. A slightly more interesting one here is Jacoby Myers for the Las Vegas Raiders. Now, I've loved Jacoby for a long time. Obviously, I got a little bit of Pat's bias, but he's been an excellent receiver, and and I just think he is an excellent receiver. And he was awesome. The funniest thing about the Raiders was that on 26 routes, Jacoby Myers and Devontae Adams got 19 targets. Now, there is just no way that's going to keep up. It Even the Miami Dolphins do not have an offense that condensed. And I don't think anyone thinks that Jacoby Myers is going to out-target Devontae Adams. So when you have a 30% target earner next to you like Adams, the realistic peak for a guy like Jacoby Myers is 24% realistically it's probably below that Jacoby Myers is not a deep threat he scored twice this week he's not a guy that typically scores touchdowns he hurt his head this week he's had concussion issues in the past and he's playing on a team that's probably not going to throw a lot doesn't have an elite quarterback so even though this was awesome for Jacoby Myers and I love Jacoby Myers I'm going to classify him as a hold on a contender because I do think that he can be a solid flex and that's all his value is right now but on a rebuilder, you want to get rid of him immediately because he'll put up enough points to cost you Caleb Williams. And he's never going to, he has no chance to accrue, you know, first round value. So you might as well sell him for a second now and don't let him cost you a draft position. Last but not least in the AFC West, well, maybe least. I don't know. Depends how you feel about the Raiders. I think the Broncos are going to be pretty terrible this season. And they already lost at home to the Raiders. So let's talk about the Broncos. I want to talk about Javante Williams. He had an up and down week from a usage perspective. The good is that, similar to Brees Hall, he looked like the old Javante Williams. He had six targets. Um, He did not do very much with his carries, but I watched the whole game. There wasn't a whole lot to be done. 52 yards on the 13 carries was fine. Um, the issue with Javante Williams was that he did not play at all on the two-minute drill uh, or on third down. Uh, he only saw 11% of long down and distance snaps um, and 11% of two-minute drill snaps. And, and Samaj P. Ryan was the guy in there. So it's hard to know whether this is just their game plan for week one as they try to work Javante back in or not. 
But we do know that Javante still commanded six targets without playing those downs, a 42% target per target per route run, which is absolutely absurd. And he had 62% of the rush attempts in his first game back from that devastating knee injury. So I am good on Javante Williams. I would hold and potentially buy, depending on uh, what your league mates think of him. I'll briefly just touch on Greg Dulcich as a massive buy right now due to the injury. Um, his upside is still there. You were never starting him week one anyways. Uh, buy him for the upside. Let's move on to the AFC South and one of my biggest sells of the week. That is Christian Kirk. Listen, Christian Kirk, before he came to Jacksonville and got that contract that everyone was freaking out about, there was a reason we were freaking out about it because he had never proven to be anything more than a wide receiver three. His career target rate high was 22%. And then last year in Jacksonville, he was incredible. I mean, on a, on a season-long basis, which I don't like to use, he was a wide receiver one, points per game basis, a wide receiver two. And I was high on him coming into the year because I, I thought Calvin Ridley would be would be the number one option there. I had Ridley projected for a 26% target rate, but I thought Christian Kirk would stay at 24%, and that's that's not happening. I, I don't think that's happening. And even worse for Christian Kirk is he's not even playing in two wide receiver sets. He came off the field on 10 out of 11 of those plays um, in two wide receiver personnel, so he only was on the field for two-thirds of the pass plays. It's just tough. Zay Jones is the wide receiver two there, and if Calvin Ridley's going to command a lot of targets, and Evan Ingram's going to get targets, Zay Jones is getting targets, and Travis Etienne, we'll talk about him in one second, is going to get targets, there's just not a lot of room for Christian Kirk. I think he is a sell low because his value is only going to further decrease. I'll just talk about it quickly. Travis Etienne did not face a Tank Bigsby issue at all. 64% of the rush attempts, 86 route participation rate, 16% uh, target share, which was awesome, given that last year Trevor Lawrence had the lowest checkdown rate in the league. So that would be massive for Etienne if th- that changes. He had the long touchdown run where he looked incredibly explosive. Um, Etienne's that guy. I-, I would buy high on him right now. Next in the AFC South, I want to talk about Anthony Richardson, who was incredibly impressive in his first game. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that our expectations were very low, and there was a reason for that. Anthony Richardson was not a good college quarterback. There were a lot of reasons he was drafted as high as he was, but it wasn't because he lit it up in college. Um, his career uh, completion percentage in college of 54.7% was terrible. His yards per attempt uh, of under eight was also terrible. He just wasn't a very good passer, and he wasn't even that prolific of a rusher. I mean, he was. He had 650 rushing yards, but he wasn't Lamar Jackson, who had 1,500 rushing yards and was a much better passer. But back to how he looked in this first week. He was just—he was very good. He, he looked like an NFL quarterback. Uh, he ran the ball 10 times, which is awesome for his fantasy value. He looked really good navigating the pocket, avoiding sacks, which was really my favorite thing about him in the scouting process. They took a lead over the Jaguars in the third quarter, the team that's supposed to win the AFC South. I would like to see him throw a little bit deeper. His average depth of target was only 5.3 yards, and he is a guy who I think should be getting up above 10 yards. But we saw good signs from him, good signs from Michael Pittman, good signs from Josh Downs. I'm buying high on Anthony Richardson at this point, and I am moving him 
above Deshaun Watson and Justin Fields. I'm pumped about this next team. And I didn't think I'd be saying that about the Houston Texans, but my boy Nico Collins balled out, and I am so proud of him. He did come off the field a lot in three wide receiver sets, which to me is just uh, some random minutia of how the game was working. I don't think there is any stickiness to that. But his underlying numbers were terrific. 31% targets per route run, 61% air yard share, which was number one in the NFL. He had 160 air yards. He is the perfect fit for C.J. Stroud, who has excellent ball placement. He's not afraid to throw it into coverage. And Nico Collins is looking like a wide receiver one out there for the Houston Texans. His upside will be somewhat capped this year because the Texans are not going to be a good team. C.J. Stroud is probably not going to throw for 4,500 yards or anything, but Nico Collins looks like the alpha of this team, and I still think he's a good buy with a second-round pick. I would try to trade Christian Kirk for him. You could try to make that happen. Um, I'm all in on Nico Collins at his current value. Next question comes to me from Castle Kings 12. It is about the Tennessee Titans, which is our last AFC South team. And he is asking me, how long until Tajay Spears takes Derrick Henry's job? The answer is, I don't know. Has he already? No, no, of course he hasn't already. He hasn't taken the job. However, he played more snaps than Derrick Henry. He ran double the routes of Derrick Henry. Now, a lot of that is game script dependent, but what it tells me is that for the first time in Derrick Henry's career, he is not playing on a lot of third downs, and he's coming off on first and second downs occasionally as well. Um, This wasn't just a late-in-the-game game script thing. Tajay Spears played 11 of the first 19 snaps. So Tajay Spears did what we thought Zach Charbonnet might do what we thought uh, Tank Bigsby might do. Ended up being Tajay Spears as the guy to do it, and he's doing it to Derrick Henry. He's already taking half of the work and a lot of the receiving work. What that means for Henry is that he is basically having no value anymore um, relative to relative to what he sh- currently is perceived to be having, right? Like, people think he's worth a first-round pick. That is absolutely not true. He is a 30-year-old running back. Um and uh, those guys do not last, especially if they don't have receiving upside like a guy like Austin Eckler. So sell Derrick Henry, buy high on Tajay Spears. This backfield is going to be his, especially if the Titans end up not having a very good season, which uh, based on how Ryan Tannehill played, seems like it is uh, pretty likely. And that is it for the AFC. Before we move on to the NFC, Got one uh, general question coming from Flair Spion. He is asking me for rookies and other young players who are, you know, going to the moon on Twitter, who are exceeding expectations early. Guys like Zay Flowers. Should we be waiting for them to cool off before buying or should we be buying high? Um, First of all, I'd say this is a slightly complicated answer. Listen to podcasts like mine. uh, And it is contextually different for each and every player. Like I said with Zay Flowers, you got to look at how the targets are being earned, whether you think that's sustainable and repeatable throughout the year. In general, though, I am all for buying high on a young breakout player because this might be the cheapest they ever are. It, it, It is just very situational, though. Um... But there are many, many examples of guys like basically every superstar now at one point 
had a breakout game. People were still saying, you know, it's just one game. And then all of a sudden, they're Garrett Wilson. And you can never buy them. I mean, Amon Ross St. Brown finished his rookie season with six straight games of, I believe it was 10 plus targets. I think he was a wide receiver one in five out of his last six games. And he was still going as a seventh round startup pick. So sometimes it's okay to be too early, especially if the opportunity cost is low. Like, like I said, a guy like Nico Collins, a guy like Tajay Spears, guys, the young guys who I'm just talking about, um, Demario Douglas, right? You're not gonna, you're not gonna ruin your fantasy team by buying quote unquote high on them. That's why I'm willing to give something for Demario Douglas right now, because you know, third round picks bust anyways. If he busts, it's going to be okay. Let's get to this quick commercial break, and then I will be back with the NFC. Let's talk NFC and start off with the New York Football Giants losing 40 to nothing. Start off the episode with the Patriots. The only rival the Patriots have really had over the last two decades is the New York Giants. So let's rejoice in how terrible they looked and how bad Daniel Jones looked. He's been one of my biggest sells all offseason. He is still a major sell to me. You can still get a first-round pick with some upside. He needed an absurd rushing output last year to be a low-end QB1, uh, really a high-end QB2 if we're looking at points per game. It's just not a guy I want to invest in. I know he has some job security, but we saw yesterday. He's just not a very good player. The other guy I'm selling on the Giants is Darren Waller, and this all comes from an injury thing. There were reports today that Darren Waller's hamstring issue is similar to Cooper Cubs. This is the hamstring that kept him out for an extended period last year. Um, Darren Waller turned 34 uh, today, or I guess yesterday by the time you guys are listening to this. And recurring hamstring injuries for a 31-year-old tight end is not a good sign. Um, He wasn't anything special in this game. I'm not even judging it based off that. I just think Darren Waller is a ticking time bomb. And if you can get a first-round value for him, even if you have to add a little bit, uh, I would jump on that immediately. If you're a contender, I would try to move up for a guy like uh, George Kittle, I would trade him straight up for a guy like Pat Fryermuth, maybe try to buy a low on David Njoku, get a little bit on top. Uh, Dallas Goddard, same thing. There's a lot of options for you, and Darren Waller is not a safe one. Next, I'm going to talk about the Dallas Cowboys who beat up on the New York Football Giants and Tony Pollard. There's not a whole lot to say, honestly, except Tony Pollard was who we thought he was. He dominated the touches, even late in the game um, when they had a gigantic lead. He ended the game with only 64% snap count, but they had a three-touchdown-plus lead the entire game. Um, He ran 60% of the routes. Uh, 13% targets per route run isn't great, but overall, all the numbers were great uh, for Tony Pollard. Uh, RB5 on the week, 22 PPR points. I think there's honestly better better times ahead. He won't always score two touchdowns, but he will always get 65-plus percent of the work. Deuce Vaughn didn't come in until the game was way out of hand. Rico Dowdle was the backup, but again, uh, only really coming in to give Pollard a breather, not not impacting his playing time um, at all in a, in a negative way. You know, no running backs play 100% of the snaps anymore. Uh, Pollard as a top five running back, that bet is still looking good after week one. 
Now, this one comes a little bit out of left field, but we're talking about the Washington Commanders and Cole Turner, who is one of my buys, or one of my ads, because there's a lot of dynasty leagues where Cole Turner is going to be a free agent. I talked about him before the season when Logan Thomas was hurt. Turner was filling in uh, for him as the starting tight end. He did really well in training camp. And then Logan Thomas came back, and Cole Turner was relegated to only four routes. The good... He was targeted on two of those routes. He caught two targets. Uh, he had 30 air yards. He, he had a really good game. Um, the I mean, four running four routes, which is the bad part, of course. But Logan Thomas is a guy, again, who constantly misses time. Uh, there is no way that you could be confident at all about him lasting. Uh, he has only played 20 games the last two years. He's 32 years old. Turner is basically free. So this is similar to the situation I'll talk about later um, with uh, with Trey McBride and Zach Ertz. Uh, if, if, I don't know if I'll talk about that with the Cardinals. We'll see. But either way, Cole Turner is in a good position where if there's an injury, if there's a trade because the commanders aren't very good, uh, maybe Cole Turner just outperforms Logan Thomas. That, that would not be the most surprising thing in the world. And he's basically free. So get him as a throw-in. Get him for a fourth-round pick or pick him up off of your waiver wire. The final team in the NFC East is the Philadelphia Eagles, and I have a question coming to me from Keylog. He is asking about Kenny Gainwell's usage. Is this smoke, or will he be used this way the rest of the year? Well, I can tell you he won't be used that way in Week 2 because he is already injured. I never want players to get injured, any players to get injured, and I have nothing against Kenny Gainwell, but I'm not surprised. He's not a guy who can typically handle a large workload, but... Let's put that to the side for a second. If he does get the workload he got in week one, where he had 62% of the snaps, uh, he had 14% target share, that's totally solid. I mean, there's a, he only had 11 PPR points. That's because he's he's not a very good player. I, I, think, I think we know that by now, but that's okay. Because if he's going to get that much volume, he could be a low-end RB2, even if he's not a very good player. The issue with Kenny Gainwell is he's got at least two talent, two more talented players behind him uh, in uh, Rashad Penny and DeAndre Swift. DeAndre Swift only had one carry and one reception. We'll see after this game whether it's Rashad Penny or DeAndre Swift who's going to get the lion's share of the work. Um, but I, I just don't see Kenny Gainwell as a long-term option. It sucks that we missed a cell window um, because he got injured already. And even if the game wasn't Thursday, I think we'd have a cell window where you could get a second round pick for him. But ultimately, I think Kenny Gainwell is is closer to closer to Michael Carter than he is to Austin Eckler. Let's let's just put it that way. Another running back that I am selling because he is just not that good is Alexander Madison. Sometimes it's just as simple as sell a guy after he scores two touchdowns and buy a guy after he doesn't. We've seen Madison for over 400 career carries, and he is just a mediocre player. He did not force a missed tackle on 11 carries last week. That is nothing new for Alexander Madison. I did a whole long thread on Madison in the offseason once Dalvin Cook got cut, and it was clear that he was going to be the starter. What was even more clear is that Madison is not a difference maker at running back. Honestly, I think it would be kind in a way to call him a jag because he isn't even really putting up league average performance. So it's awesome that he might be getting 
18 touches a week. I'm not saying that's anything to sneeze at, but I saw him as high as the top 12 of people's redraft rankings. I'm not that comfortable starting him. I don't think I'm going to start him against Philadelphia this week. And I think at this point, you could consider selling Madison for a guy like Tajay Spears, who really performed, like Nico Collins, just saying guys I already mentioned. You could try to buy low on a guy like Traylon Burks. There's a lot of ways to convert Madison into value. Go try to get an early second rounder, even two, two quote-unquote late second rounders from Madison. He's not a guy I want to be rostering and playing all the time. From a running back who is not very good to a running back who is very, very good, Jameer Gibbs looked even better than I thought he would. His explosiveness was just incredible on Thursday. Yes, he only has seven carries and two targets, but he had six broken tackles on those seven carries. The two targets was only on nine routes. He was lining up in the slot and out wide. They didn't use him enough, but I am very confident that will change soon. That explosiveness translated in a way that I didn't think it necessarily would from day one. He was breaking tackles with power. His first touch of the game was an 18-yard run to the left, where he ended up running over a safety to finish the play. Yeah, okay, 195 pounds. I don't give a shit. Jameer Gibbs is awesome. And I talked at Brees Hall a lot earlier in this draft. I still have Brees Hall significantly above Gibbs because there are still concerns with how much workload Gibbs can carry. But I'm classifying him as a buy high because he is high, low, depends on your league. In my opinion, he looked great, so it's high. He looked like Jamal Charles. Some people might be selling him low. Either way, you should be the one buying him. Meanwhile, we have Justin Fields on the Bears who did not look very good. And people are starting to be concerned with Justin Fields. I've been concerned with Fields for a very long time. I got off almost all of my shares of him straight up for Trevor Lawrence or Lamar Jackson this offseason. Justin Fields was a very good passer in college, and he was a very, very bad passer his first season and a half in the NFL, and he was a very, very bad passer in week one. He had one interception. He should have had two more. He was sacked four times. Again, guys, sacks are quarterback stat. That is his fault. He wasn't throwing the ball down the field. He was checking the ball down a lot, had an A dot under four yards. It was just a mess for Fields. But the thing is, is that he still was a good passer in college. He still makes some really nice plays. The Bears are a mess. And most importantly, he still has unbelievable rushing upside. He's averaged over 10 fantasy points from rushing alone. That means that he only needs 14 fantasy points or so, which is, you know, worst quarterback in the league levels passing the ball. That is that is Baker Mayfield level passing if he can sustain any type of this rushing performance. And he needs to keep him job his job. That's the part I'm more worried about. It makes him by far the riskiest asset in the top 12. But you can probably get Justin Fields straight up for two attack at Vailoa right now. 62% of over 4,000 people who voted in this latest poll said they would take two over Justin Fields. I'm betting on the upside of Fields all the time with that. He is a guy who can break fantasy. He is a guy who can make your team a championship team. Um, Tua is never going to elevate to that level. So Justin Fields, buy low. Next, I want to talk about the opposing quarterback in the Packers-Bears game who looked a hell of a lot better, and I'm selling him as a result. Now, that might sound a little bit ridiculous, but 
Jordan Love, while he looked competent, which is which is a compliment. Like this is Jordan Love's second career start, I believe. Competent is a compliment. However, he was only 15 of 27, and while he had a 9.1 yards per attempt, most of that can be attributed to Aaron Jones, who took two screen passes from behind the line of scrimmage for 86 yards. And if you take out those two plays, Jordan Love was at 6.4 yards per attempt. So I'm not sold yet, but some might be. I could see him moving well above guys that he was behind, including um, Daniel Jones. I'm not saying by Daniel Jones, but at other positions, maybe Quentin Johnston, uh, maybe Javante Williams, uh, definitely maybe a guy like Jerry Judy. I would be settling Jordan Love, a a first-round pick, especially a mid one, one that might be mid. I, I would be selling Jordan Love off this performance if you have a guy who's willing to buy all in. Moving to the NFC West, we got Kenneth Walker, and it's a very similar story here as it was for Travis Etienne out in the AFC South. Kenneth Walker, there were a lot of concerns in the offseason because Zach Charbonnet was drafted in the second round. Zach Charbonnet, who you know was my RB3 in the draft uh, and during the pre-draft process, I, I loved him. I thought he was incredible at UCLA. But Walker just didn't have to deal with him at all. He handled 72% of the rush attempts, Coming off a hamstring injury, he had a 25% targets per route run, which I don't expect to continue, but still, I mean, Zach Charbonnet only played 14% of the long down and distance snaps, and we saw Kenneth Walker cash in those opportunities to be excellent again, which is all he's ever been in his NFL career. I know he was inconsistent at times last season. Um, He would take risks. He's a young running back. I still think he's learning, but... We saw him average over three and a half yards after contact per attempt last week after being top five in that statistic last year. He forced four missed tackles on 12 attempts. Kenneth Walker is looking great. The hamstring is fine, and Zach Charbonnet is not going to threaten him anytime soon. Next team is the Rams, and I got a question, another one coming to me from FF to Mad Dog, is what to do with Puka Nakua on a rebuilder? The correct answer to this question is go get a second-round pick that you think has a chance to be early, Um, or try to use him to get a guy like Javante Williams, like maybe DeAndre Swift for the upside, Um, someone who has more upside to potentially be a worth a first rounder soon. Um, I don't think Puka's going to be able to hit that until he plays several games with Cooper Cup and we see this output. People are smarter nowadays. We got burned by Travis Fulgham. Um, I remember I got several first round picks for Travis Fulgham uh, a few years ago. For for people who are newer to fantasy, uh, Travis Fulgham uh, was just the latest example of what's been happening for a very long time, where a completely random player has a hot streak um, and then is absolutely never heard from again. So for Travis Fulgham, uh, he had two career receptions, uh, sorry, three career targets entering the 2020 season, and then he started the 2020 season with games of 57 yards, 10 receptions and 152 yards, 75 yards, 73 yards, and 78 yards, four touchdowns in those five games. Um, After that, he did not surpass 100 yards total for the rest of his career. Um, I don't think that this is going to be Puka Nakua, but I also don't think Puka Nakua is Cooper Cup. So on a rebuilder, 
cash in that value that has already been accrued. I'm totally okay with that. Um, I'm actually more likely to keep him on a contender where I think uh, I can use his production in the meantime and I can afford to uh, take a bit of a value hit if it if it goes down slightly. But I, I do think Niku is good and I think he's going to earn a lot of targets for the next three weeks at least. So um, nothing, nothing wrong with holding him. I, I don't feel strongly about it, honestly, to advise too strongly one way or the other. The next NFC West player I want to talk about is Brock Purdy of the San Francisco 49ers. I have him as a buy high because he looked damn good this last week. He is obviously the starter in San Francisco for the long run, in my opinion. I think that he's done enough to earn that. He was a QB1 over the last six games of last season, and he was efficient again. Um... My favorite stat for him is that he's just incredible thrown in the middle of the field. He led the league last season uh, with a record 80% completion percentage. Um, he was 9 for 10 this week. I, I think that Brock Purdy is a guy that you want to invest in because he's tied to several good offensive weapons and Kyle Shanahan. And even if he's just a me- mediocre game manager, which I, I think might be selling him a little bit short, at least selling his upside short, um, he has the ability to be, you know, Kirk Cousins, which has, who's been an incredibly valuable player. I don't love the idea of giving up a first for him, but I would absolutely trade Kenny Pickett for him. I think I would trade Jordan Love for him. That's a deal you could definitely make right now. So consider buying high on Brock Purdy. Last team in the West is the Arizona Cardinals. Um, who looked actually better than everyone expected last week, but uh, I think I think everyone's happy that uh, they didn't end up getting the win. Uh, the guy I want to talk about on the Cardinals is James Conner. He's not the sexiest guy in the league. He's not the best running back in the league, and he might be on the worst team in the league. However, you cannot argue with that volume because he had 72% of the RB carries. He had another five receptions. This is the type of workload. It's it's better workload than what Alexander Madison's getting, and he's at least as good as Alexander Madison is. I love James Conner at his price because he is significantly cheaper than Dalvin Cook, which I don't understand, than Alvin Kamara. Then uh, he's not as good as Aaron Jones, but he's cheaper than Aaron Jones. He's going to get 20-plus touches a week, and I know there's some injury issues there, but you can buy him for any any second-round pick. Um, especially if you are a contender, one of the favorites. Let's say you lost J.K. Dobbins. Let's say you didn't. Never hurts to have an extra uh, RB2, essentially. So go throw a late second-round pick at James Conner. Next question comes to me from Ket Barger, uh, and it is about the first team in the NFC South we're going to discuss, which is the New Orleans Saints. He's asking me, how high is Chris Alave in my dynasty wide receiver rankings? Um, this is tough for me. So going into last week, uh, I had Chris Olave pretty high in my dynasty rankings. I had him seven at wide receiver. And, and if you're a patron, you can access all of my, uh, all my dynasty rankings, which are being consistently updated. Um, my top dynasty rankings for wide receiver was Justin Jefferson, then a tear break, then Jamar Chase, then a tear break. And then I had a pretty big tier uh, I had Amon Ross St. Brown leading that off at number four. Um, I had CD, uh, I had for CD Lamb 
At number five, I had Garrett Wilson, six, Jalen Waddell, seven, A.J. Brown, and eight, Chris Olave. I'm moving Chris Olave above A.J. Brown, um, for sure. I'm moving Chris Olave, I think, above Jalen Waddell. And honestly, it's it's partly due to this week. It's partly just due to I, I, I think I made a mistake. Um, there's an argument for him over Garrett Wilson with this Aaron Rodgers injury. I think I'm probably going to keep him at, at six. Uh no, no, I'm going to move above Garrett Wilson and CeeDee Lamb. I think I'm going to move him to four uh, behind Justin Moe and Ross St. Brown. I, I don't know what more we need to see. I mean, obviously, he was great this week, uh, but it's more important that that was nothing new this week because last season, Chris Olave was 10th in the NFL with a 29% target rate. Um, he was third in the NFL with 41% air yard share. Uh, he's one of only two wide receivers in NFL history um, to go their first 16 games with at least 40-plus uh, receiving yards. Chris Olave is he's he's just he's just a superstar, uh, not even a future superstar, a superstar. So after Jefferson and Chase and Amon, Ross St. Brown, I'm going with Chris Olave at number four uh, in my wide receiver rankings. And for those of you that that didn't see uh, his output, he put up eight eight receptions for 112 yards. Pretty ho hum game uh, at this pace for Chris Olave, but it was another game where he earned uh, 130 air yards. He's just doing this on a consistent basis. His target rate was 31 percent, even higher than it was last year. I have one more question on the Saints. Uh, so I'm going to get to that again. These Patreon Q and A's, I do these all the time. Jane is asking me buy or sell or hold Rashid Shahid. I'm buying into Rashid Shahid. I mean, he was really good on limited target volume last year. He had a yards per route run of over two and a half last year, and he was really good this first week again. There's no reason that he can't be a big part of this offense, particularly because Michael Thomas is not the Michael Thomas of old. So. There's going to be times where Alave's getting double teamed, Thomas is working underneath, and Shahid's the guy that's going to stretch the field. I like him more in best ball than managed leagues for sure. Um, I'm using some Rashid Shahid because I do own a lot to acquire Demario Douglas. I'm getting third round picks on top. That's a trade I would recommend making. Uh, but again, I think Rashid Shahid is, is real. Uh, whether he's a superstar or not, probably not, but he, he's a good player. Next, I'm going to talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Rashad White. This is a tough one for me because he had an excellent usage. I thought Sean Tucker was going to come to his usage more than he did, but White had a 79% snap share, and he only had two targets, but let's be real, that is a massive outlier. The problem is is Rashad White might be just an awful, awful, awful running back. Um, He had negative 38 Yards over expectation, a statistic that he was second to last in the NFL last year at. The offensive line is terrible. Um, hypothetically, uh, rush yards over expectation is supposed to count for that, but uh, it th- there has been shown to be a correlation between offensive line play and, and that statistic. But still, the offensive line isn't going to improve anytime soon. Rashad White was not hitting holes. He was not making people miss. But his value has sunk so low. I think you could get him for Jalen Warren, um, Rashad White's still going to be receiving 80% plus of the workload. As I said, I think the, uh, or 70% plus my bad. As I said, I think that the targets are going to return, uh, and increase as well. Uh, last year he was earning targets at a really high rate. So I'm buying Rashad White, especially for a late second round pick. 
Two left, and this is going to be a long one because there are a lot of questions about the Atlanta Falcons. Um, Got a question from Smile asking me, concerns with the Atlanta offense, are you selling Tyler Algier? Uh, Got another question, what to do with London and Pitts? Should you buy hoping for better days ahead? And then Mike D asks me, what kind of moves to make with London on a contender? Um, We'll start with Drake London. Awful, awful, awful week one for him. He looked like Donovan Peoples-Jones just getting his cardio out there uh, with one target, obviously. Not what you like to see. However, Drake London was unbelievable last season. The Falcons didn't throw a whole lot, so it was kind of covered up by that fact. But Drake London was awesome last year. Uh, Four of his last five games to finish the season, he had at least 75 yards. Um... And he's just going to be a guy whose value will automatically increase. There's just there's just no way it doesn't happen. But it might not be this year. Uh, I put up a poll. Drake London got 38% of the vote relative to Calvin Ridley. Uh, I think you could get Drake London for Zay Flowers. I already said that. If you are a rebuilder, he's the perfect acquisition. Now, if you're a contender, should you trade him for Calvin Ridley? Uh, Yeah, I mean... Honestly, yeah, it's not the trade that I like to make, but I think you got to do it. So I, I, I really see it. I really think that's pretty much an even trade. Um, it's a situation where you need to honestly assess your team. Um, if your team might be a contender, wait a few weeks because Ridley, because London's value is going to go up, um, and Ridley's probably won't. But it's just tough. It's just a tough situation right now for London, especially if you invested at you know, third, fourth round turn, uh, draft capital is sometimes even higher. Next questions about uh, Atlanta. Kyle Pitts was mentioned. I'm not concerned at all about Kyle Pitts. It's a similar story as Drake London, honestly, where Desmond Ritter is, is really bad. If he, And if he's only going to throw 18 times a game, no one's going to be effective in that offense. But I'm not worried about Kyle Pitts' talent. The difference between Pitts and London, and I spoke yesterday um, to Paul Patterson about this on his podcast, uh, the difference between them is that Cal Pitts plays a position where the average output to be a meaningful difference maker is so much lower and the potential ceiling for being a meaningful difference maker is so much higher. So that's why Cal Pitts is and always has been above Drake London. Um, even if they have the exact same statistics, Cal Pitts is going to be much more valuable and that's why I am not concerned about him. The last question here was about Tyler Algier. Should you sell him on a contending team? I don't think Algier is going to be a guy that you ever feel comfortable starting if you're a really good team. I don't mind rostering him. I do think he might be the best handcuff in in football right now, in fantasy right now, just because he is going to get a ridiculous workload if Bijan ever got hurt. Knocking on wood so hard. He is too fun to watch. Don't get hurt, Bijan. Um, I would consider selling Algier. Like, if if you get a good offer, maybe you need... A different position maybe you need a uh, a QB3 like if you can get a Sam Howell type with some upside um, maybe you, you probably have to add something to that but uh, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be looking to sell him I think he, he's a valuable player and a good one he's proven to be a very good rush uh, rush of the football at least and finally let's talk about the Carolina Panthers we're going to be talking about Miles Sanders oh it's the same situation as Alexander Madison, except he's even worse receiving the ball. Sanders got two-thirds of the rushes, but this offense is not going to be good. 
there's not going to be a lot of touchdown opportunities. I, I thought Bryce Young looked by far the worst out of the three rookie quarterbacks uh, in their debuts. And Sanders was only targeted four times on 42 uh, dropbacks. Like, so it's... The, it, Listen, he's not a good receiver of the football. He actually got 26 yards, which was uh, that yards per uh, target is way of 7.5. is way, way higher than it's been recently. Miles Sanders has been probably the worst uh, high-ish volume receiving running back over the last three years with the yards per target under four. Yards per target under four. He's one of the only players where running is actually more efficient than passing. But even for him... Uh, it's not very efficient uh, because he was really only good in this last season when they had Jalen Hurts opening up lanes for him. It's not going to be the same with Bryce Young. I'm okay selling, I guess, high, I guess, low. I don't know. Just sell Miles Sanders. Get what you can while you can get it, uh, similar to the uh, Alexander Madison story. That's it for my week one buys and sells. I hope you enjoyed. Uh, I know a lot of information was disseminated here. What I will say is that I have all of this. This was, uh, I obviously added in some new information as well, but this was about uh, a quarter, maybe a little bit less of the amount of information I have on my week one buy and sell article to my Patreon subscribers. So I really uh, recommend that you check that out. uh, If you find this work valuable, uh, only $6 a month for the base level. Um, In addition, I put out a weekly waiver wire report giving you recommendations that went up uh, every Tuesday on how much to bid for various waiver wire players. I'm trying to help all y'all out in the deepest of deep dynasty leagues, uh, in the most uh, intense and focused and daily active dynasty leagues. Every little hint you can get to put you over the top is going to help. And that's my favorite thing that I do is trying to help my patrons improve uh, or really just all my followers, whether you're on Twitter, whether you're listening to the podcast, supporting me in any way is awesome. Like this is what what, uh, really keeps me excited about the game. So thank you all for listening to the Dynasty Zoltan podcast. As always, uh, I'll be back probably tomorrow. I've I've got two guests actually uh, lined up for tomorrow. Uh, And then, of course, next week, early in the week to recap week two. 